Paving the Way with Prayer is Dr. Joel Hunter's sermon series. This last message will deal with the subject, Preparation in Prayer, Treasuring. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter has chosen the second chapter of Luke, verses 15 through 20, as a scripture text that reads as follows. And it came about, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Good morning. Would you all stand with me? The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What great news for the redeemed in Christ. Father, it is awesome to be in your presence. We confess to you this morning, Lord, that we are slow learners. That sometimes, Lord, we just don't get it. We don't understand how deep your grace is or how broad your mercy is. Lord, you continue to move toward us with arms outstretched calling us your own, calling us to come unto you. And so, Lord, here we are, gathered in your house, waiting to hear from you. Lord, we ask that your rhema word might come to each of us this morning, that we might hear exactly what you have prepared for each of us individually to hear. And Lord, change us in the process. Encourage us. And set us on our feet, right side up, praising you and giving you the glory that you are so worthy of. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) Well, congratulations. You are the ones who survived Christmas. It's a wonderful thing. I feel like a chaplain uh, uh, addressing the somewhat decimated but uh, surviving troops this morning. Uh, I know I hear it. I hear it. Uh, Me too. Uh, You have survived the malls, the flea markets, the crowds, the babies, the flu, the cold, almost the flu and the cold. And uh, you're here. And that's great. Let me tell you uh, what we're going to do this morning. So, as you can tell, it's a little bit more informal than usual. wasn't meant to be, but just turned out that way. Um, so we're going to take that spirit and just be a little bit more informal than usual. And we're going to consider this. We're going to ponder what all this means this morning. Uh, God has gotten us through this time. He has gotten through an entire season of, of uh, prayer, if you've been in this congregation. 
uh, a season of uh, uh, different family relationships. Uh, these are very difficult times for some of you. Uh, a season of celebration. And it's appropriate that we just take some time this morning to do what Mary did, to treasure up these things and ponder them in our heart. If you have your scriptures with you and you would turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, let's go through maybe some difference between Mary and and other folks of this season in how long they thought about uh, what they had gone through and what implications it had for them. Let me begin with verse 8 and mosey through these verses with you. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, the birth of Jesus has never been nailed down to a date. Um, in the first couple of centuries, I think the church uh, celebrated the birth of Jesus on January the 6th. Somewhere in the 4th century, the church decided that it would uh, choose December 25th as the time that we celebrate uh, the birth of Christ, because that was a pagan holiday, and we just took it over for Jesus. I kind of like that. Uh, said, no, the calendar's ours. We're taking this over for Jesus. And so um, we've been celebrating on December 25th since. Um, there are some evidences in Scripture that uh, he would have been born uh, more in the summertime. The time when the flocks would have been out by night would have been uh, from... Um, maybe April through November uh, over in that section in that season of the year. However, it could have been warm and, and it could have been December 24th in the fields. We don't know. Um, but in any case, we do know that the shepherds were being dutiful. They were doing uh, what they were called to do, keeping watch over their flocks. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terribly frightened. And we've talked about how very appropriate that reaction is. If you are not frightened when an angel shows up, you're a few bricks short of a load. (laughs) Now, it says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. Now, this is the first point of the message, and I'll get to it again in a moment, but... Remember, when God gives you something, He not only gives it to you for you, but He gives it to you for others. And this is very typical of how God acts. It will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, those three words, Christ the Lord are an unusual bit of theology for a Jewish shepherd. And let me tell you why. We've, we've heard those words so many times that they go together for us. They would not go together for a Jewish shepherd. You see, the Messiah uh, in Jewish literature, in Jewish scripture, really was not uh, described as a divine being. And so the word Lord, uh, in the divine sense, would not go along with the Messiah, with the Christ. In the Jewish sense, it would be more um, the Lord's Christ, not Christ the Lord. However, in the, in the Hellenistic world, the Greek world, uh, they use the word Lord uh, quite frequently for uh, an a, uh, emperor who had been deified. Uh, and they translated 
deity to the emperor. And so here for the first time is the combination of the Messiah and the divine being. It is a quite an advanced and sophisticated theology, and they probably didn't catch it all the first time. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Notice uh, the angel don't, uh, doesn't say, well, if you want to go, now let me give you a hint. It's up to you. You will find the baby. Never occurred to them that they didn't want to go. You will find the baby. Lying uh, in clothes, lying in a manger or a feeding trough. One of those. It's just pretty much how it looked. Um, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God. Now, I, we don't get the full impact of this. We do not get the full impact of this. We have so diminutized the image of angels. I heard a wonderful um, radio uh, broadcast the other day uh, about angels, and this guy was going through what this choir would have been like. And we have these... We have, you know, we got these dumb pictures of angels, little fat babies flying around. And we said, boy, that guy that must have been an angel. It's kind of like Vienna Boys Choir. Now, now you, you got to get the angel. You got to, you know, we're talking about the hosts, the heavenly hosts. We're talking about the warriors of God. These, these had voices that would ring eternity. And we did, we don't have a picture. Think of. Um, well, that's a lesser. Think of think of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir with correct theology, <laughs> multiplied a thousand times. We're, it's, just, it's just unimaginable. And this is the heavenly host praising God and saying, "The point of it all, glory to God." That's the point of all of this, by the way. It's not the change in our situation. It's the glory to God that comes from the change in our situation. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about that when the angel has, has, angels had gone away into heaven, that the shepherds began to say one another, let us go. <laughs> Straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that had happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste. I would have loved to have seen these guys running over the hills. They just, you know, this, the things flopping behind. Came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Now, it sounds like they're just telling Mary and Joseph, but the next verse says they've found a lot of people to tell. It says, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, I don't want you to miss the subtleties of this verse. This word wondered is in the aorist tense, and it does not have a continuing uh, um repetitive sense to it. It's just a kind of a one deal, you know. Ooh, here's something. And it kind of makes you wonder. And then there's a sense that they could have just wandered off and chalked it up to one of their religious memories or religious experiences. And so the message of the shepherds could be taken, and I think was taken, to everyone around there as something quite odd Something quite wonderful, 
but something that could be walked away from. Now notice the contrast in the life of Mary. Verse 19 says, But, there's the contrast, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them. Now there's a there's the present participle. There is the continuous and repeated action. Pondering them again and again. Pondering them in her heart. These things, by the way, uh, the Greek is remata, comes from the, from the word rhema, which is, remember, the personal word of God. So all of the circumstances, all of the messages, Mary took as personal. Mary took it as God was speaking to her with her name on it. No matter what the message was, it had her name on it. And she's gathering all of these things. She's treasuring them up. I love that phrase. She's treasuring them and pondering them in her heart. She's not letting go, and they're not letting go of her. And then in the last verse, we see the shepherds go back home. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean to us? There are a few ways that we can do Christmas. I'll just name two. Number one, we can hear God through the ordinary circumstances of life and through the commonplace things of our everyday. Now, Christmas is a weird time. Christmas is a special time. Um, and so it's very difficult uh, to, um, to count this as just an ordinary time. But when you do Christmas, there is, a, there is kind of a form to it every year. I mean, every Christmas is a little bit different, but every Christmas is a little bit the same. The point of the Scriptures is that the message of God comes through people who are ordinary people. That is to say that the message comes not through the religious experts. The message comes through the people with whom we live and work. And the message is about the places in which we live and work. Think of the stories that Jesus told. Jesus did not include in those stories messages from religious experts. As a matter of fact, he didn't include religious experts at all unless he was putting them in their place. What he did was tell about the ordinary things of life. He, he told about the leavening of bread and about sowing seed in a field. And he told about uh, working in a vineyard. And he told about how brothers were different in the same family. And, and all of the regular things of life, that's what he talked about. The message of Christ begins with ordinary folk. And if you don't listen to what God is doing in the everyday ordinariness of life, you probably won't catch what he's doing 
when told by a religious expert. That was the message, by the way, to Lazarus, who found himself in deep weeds in hell. And he kept talking to Abraham, say, I'll tell you what, Abraham, let me go back and warn my brothers. Remember what Abraham said? He said, I'll tell you what, Lazarus, if they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, if they didn't believe what they've had for hundreds of years, what is a, what is a part of everybody's culture, they're not going to believe a messenger from heaven. In other words, you, even, you either believe it when you hear it from each other, or you don't believe it at all. Back in 1775, the manager of the largest hotel in Baltimore went down to the um, uh, lobby of his hotel and saw this scruffy man trying to get a room. It was a very fancy hotel. And he was rather put off by this scene. And so, not wanting the reputation of his hotel to be denigrated by such an ill-dressed fellow, he simply asked him to leave. The ill-dressed fellow shrugged his shoulders and did and got a room elsewhere. Soon after that, somebody told him the ill-dressed fellow was the then Vice President of the United States. Thomas Jefferson. The manager was absolutely mortified. And he immediately sent a messenger to Jefferson requesting him to come back to be his guest for the evening. And Jefferson characteristically replied, I value your intentions highly, but if you do not have a room for a dirty American farmer, you do not have a room for the Vice President of the United States. The point for us is this, that if we can't hear the message of what God is doing from each other, we'll never hear it from a religious expert. Because God talks in common language to common people through common people. And so, one of the things that we can learn from this is the place from which we get the gospel is from each other. And we have just as much to say about what God is doing in our lives to each other as we do from any supposed religious expert, although it doesn't hurt to have one of those around every once in a while also. Just don't want you to fire me. <clears throat> Secondly, there was a difference in the reaction to the message. The all heard it, and immediately, I suspect, now this is just my speculation because of my experience in my own life and in hearing what happens in other people's lives, immediately put it in the category of religious experience that will always be dear to me. You know, we have a big category for that. We, we are people who love religious memories. Um, we are people who love to say, yes, in my past, God had this experience for me and it was wonderful. As a matter of fact, we can, on command, recall them. You know, we can. Somebody comes up to you and says, did, you know, in your younger days, did, did you ever have an experience with God? And, and it doesn't matter whether you're saved or not, you can recall an experience with God. Most people can. 
I remember going to college and in our all-night uh, talk sessions. <laughs> let's call them. Let's clean it up here. In our all-night talk sessions, um, we would we would always argue religion. I mean, that's what you do, you know, when you, especially when you're not saved. You argue, you argue religion all the time because you think you can actually come up with an answer, which you never can, but, you know, you just feel like you might be able to. So in all our talks, I were just you know, arguing religion, you know. And, of course, people would bring out of their past, you know, these great religious experiences they've had in order to kind of buoy up their own authority. You know, if you've had a religious experience, it kind of makes you more listenable to, um, especially, again, if it's a conversation among the unsaved. And so here we are. And we're, you know, we're pulling out all of these religious experiences we've had in the past. I can remember being absolutely shocked. Not that I had had them, of course, but that everybody else had. Because they had made absolutely no difference in the behavior of these people. It hadn't made any difference in the behavior of me, of myself. But here we had this wonderful treasury of religious experiences in the aorist sense, in the it happened one time, no kidding sense, in the, and if I ever need to pull it up for comfort, I can sense, but also in the it doesn't bug me every day sense. What is there in us that delights in thanking God for things past, but not recognize him, him in things present. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton once said, Why is it that we can be grateful for somebody filling up our stockings with toys once a year, but we're not grateful for God filling up our stockings with legs every day? Oh, I like that. See, there's just this little religious category we have. And I suspect that all who heard it really did wonder at the time. All of them really did have this wonderful religious experience to report now. But it didn't bug them for very long afterwards. I've always wondered why there wasn't an entire parade of people chasing Mary and Joseph and the baby down to Egypt if they knew that that was Christ the King? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they put it in a religious experience and didn't let it bother them for too long. Now, contrast Mary's reaction. Mary is pondering these things. She's knowing, look, God has come into my life in such a way that he has something personal to say to me. And I had better take it seriously. As a matter of fact, Mary has this baby. And she doesn't know exactly what this is going to be like. Now, you women who had a baby, remember the first one. You know, you don't know exactly what it's going to be like. And fathers are like this too. I mean, we're just almost as much, except we don't think about things quite as long. But, but, what do we do now? It's not something you're going to get over. Ever. It's not something you can leave behind. Ever. When I'm a hundred, 
And my kids, if I ever make it there, and my kids are 80, I'm still going to be going. It's my kids. And my grandkids, my great-grandkids, and so on and so forth. But it's not something you ever get over. It's always in your face. It's always in your heart. And so here's Mary, knowing that God has done something personal in her life that has to do with the way she ought to live differently. Because she'll always be different. And there's no way out. I like what Paul Shearer said. said you know, he said, you can't make an exit by simply sticking a sign above any door. You walk through the door, you may be walking into the closet. You, there's, there's not an exit that we can make for what God has done in our lives. We can ignore it, but we can't make an exit. So here's Mary pondering these things in her heart. And she is very much wondering how God would have her live now. What will be the difference in her future? And she is very much, every day, wondering what different character she will have because God has come into her life in a new way. Let me now transition. This is a more informal service. And I know it's awful soon to do this again. You notice the microphones in the aisles, do you? Do you see those when you were coming in? Always look for microphones in the aisles. This is just a hint. Because periodically, not very often, but periodically... We're going to have a time for congregational participation. Now, let me tell you how different it's going to be uh, this Sunday. You know, it's neat to get together when we, when we can talk about what you get for Christmas. That's what we used to do when we were kids. You know, you call it, you know, what did you get for Christmas? Real great. We can share what we got for Christmas. When you grow up, though, the Bible says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And there's another form of that question that I'd like to challenge you, if you would, to find your way to a microphone and share this with the congregation. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. I'd like you to answer this question, if anybody's got the nerve and feels led. In a very brief form, answer what Mary must have been thinking about for your own life though in other words in light of what God has been doing in my life lately what does he want from me that will be different in the future you know this is kind of a Christian version of a New Year's resolution what does God want me to do differently in the future now let me give you two reasons why we share that. And two reasons why they used to have testimonies all the time in the old church. Number one, because once you speak it, it begins to live outside yourself. It's not just a thought anymore. It's not just a passing fancy. It has existence. And the rest of us have heard it, and we can pray for you. But the second thing is that in the character of this Scripture, you see, this is the only way we could really end this particular message is, is by doing something like this. 
because the first part of the scripture, remember, was that God gave someone a message for all the people. And so, if God is moving you in your life to live somewhat differently in the future, that's not just for you. It's for all of us. And it may benefit us to hear it because there may be somebody else in this room who God might want to live in the same way. And there will be all of us who love hearing how God is moving of late. So let me just pause and just ask whoever is a brave person to start us off. It usually takes one to start us off. Let me again, while you're thinking about this, um, ask you to keep your uh, answers short so that others can have also have time to share. But who, in light of what God has been doing in their life lately, feels like God is asking them to live a little bit differently in the future than they have in the past? Who would, who, would, who would start for us? Well, there you're right there. All right. I yeah, you can just, I'm sorry. This meant Ross. While, while he's talking, uh, if anybody just wants to go up to the microphone and wait, and then I'll point, I'll point at you when we're ready. Go ahead. I have to preface what God wants of me now in my life just a little bit, if you'll allow me the tolerance on a story that uh, occurred just recently at the passing of my dad on the 14th of this month. All the time I was growing up, there was a uh, difference of opinion between my dad and I. We never quite seemed to get along. No matter what we tried to do, the relationship never seemed to be quite what we both would have wanted it to be. So there was friction between us. Occasionally we would bridge that, but usually not for very long. He was pretty set in his ways, and I was pretty set in mine. As he laid at the age of 87 in his bed in Bradenton, Florida, recently, he was dying with emphysema. And uh, he was on morphine. So whatever he said came from within. It was not a conscious awareness of what he was doing. But I knew all of my life he was close to the Lord. And so as he lay there during the last few moments gasping for breath, he began to say, Lord, I'm ready and I'm waiting. He had a death stare on his face with no expression. But just reaching out, he said, Lord, I love you and I'm ready. Come and get me. And then he would lapse into unconsciousness and in a moment he would revive again and then he'd say, Why am I here? Has he forgotten my name? And I said, no, Dad, he's coming soon. And we began to pray. My sister, my brother-in-law, and myself would pray, Lord, come soon and get him and, and relieve him from the suffering and from the pain. And then in a minute he'd revive again and he would say, have I done something wrong? Is he, is he not coming? And he would reach out his hand as though reaching for the Lord's hand. And all of this in a subconscious state. And we began to sing hymns at the side of his bed. In the garden and the old rugged cross. And I could see just for a moment, for one brief moment, 
He never blinked. He just had a death stare on his face. And I was standing at the foot of his bed. And for just a split second, I saw a wisp of a grin come across his face. And I knew for an instant that he recognized who I was. And I said, Dad, I love you. And he said, I love you too, son. And he lapsed into unconsciousness. And in just a few moments, he breathed his last sigh and he was gone. The experience of a family sitting on the side of his bed, singing praises to the Lord, to a man that was crying out to the Lord, I'm ready, come and get me taught me a lesson that I never before in my life had learned. I'd been at the bedside of many people at the moment of their passing, but never one like that. And I believe what God wants of me, Pastor, is to uh, take advantage of every opportunity, however small it might be, to reach out to other people beyond that which is required of us and beyond which is reasonable to go and to give them our coat also and to walk with them the second mile and the third and the fourth. Christmas is a time of family relations, but it's usually the time when we notice them most keenly. I think the Lord wants me for the rest of my life with those with whom I have a difference or with those from whom I'm different to reach out and to continue reaching out and to never stop reaching out to somehow express to them the love of Christ. I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. And my wish or prayer for 1994 is that the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit will be manifested in my life that the light of Jesus will shine through me as I speak the Word of God wherever I go. Good morning. My name is David Chapman, and I don't have a great deal of religious background or fancy, eloquent words. I'm uh, someone who's gone through a, a decadent, evil, and wicked life and lived of the flesh, and I've turned to many things to find peace and harmony within, and none of them worked. And this has not been a pleasant Christmas for me. I've, it's cost me a, a beautiful wife and a family. And I was led here to Northland. I was led here to God. I was led here to church. And I, I don't know how. I, I did end up here, though. And I think that uh, what God is seeking of me now is to, by example show and demonstrate to others who are were seated as deep in darkness as I was that it, it's 
possible to find salvation. It's possible to be saved. And there's only one redeeming and sanctifying drug or intoxicant in the world. And that is Jesus Christ and God Almighty the Father. And I hope that by my example, I might be able to touch those around me that I come in contact with now, whom I know are seated deep in Satan as I was. And my, my example and my behavior might impact upon them in a way that if one such as me could come from the darkness into the light, there's that anybody could do so. Thank you. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, David. Amen. Okay, one more. I love getting new brothers and sisters. What a Christmas. Huh? Um, I wanted to share something. It's amazing how appropriate what the Lord has been teaching me over the last almost a month now is for exactly what Joel shared this morning. It was... <clears throat> For you to understand what a grip this has had in my life, I have to explain. I grew up the oldest of four children in a family that had a, a number of struggles, and so as the oldest, it more or less fell to me um, to help with the little ones, care for them, um, protect them as much as I could. So uh, I grew up to be a bit of a rescuer. Um, those of you that, yeah, somebody has watched me and knows what I'm talking about. Um, that carried on into my adult life to a degree that I never really understood until my son was born. And <clears throat> I was sitting here thinking about, as Joel said, what must be going through Mary's mind. And I remember the, the very first moment I laid eyes on Joshua, I would have done anything for this child. Uh, this intense love for him just exploded inside of me. And I didn't realize that a fair amount of Violence could come along with that until three days later when I was driving down the road with my newborn and buckled safely in the car on the way to a dental appointment. I'd put off because I didn't want x-rays done while I was carrying Josh. And this man pulled out <clears throat> on the far right, or rather from, yeah, on the far right side of a six-lane thoroughfare. We were living in Dallas then. And, and very nearly crashed into my car with my baby in it. Ordinarily, I would have just swerved out of the way and thought, my gosh, what's the matter with him? And this monster took over my mind and body immediately, and I gunned the motor and ran him off the boulevard. I got out of my car. I went over. I wrenched open this door. I grabbed this man out of his car. I picked him up, and I shook him till his eyeballs rattled, and I said, don't you ever do that to me again when I have my baby in the car. And I threw him back in the car and slammed the door. And I got back in my car, and I started going down the road, and I went, what did I just do to a perfect stranger? Well, although that makes me a very protective mother, it also makes you a bit strange. And what I didn't realize until very recently is this intense desire to protect those that I love and do the best I can for them. Sometimes it pulls a big fat bucket down over my head I can't see out of and I forget God is sovereign. He doesn't need me doing that for these people I love because he loves me too. And um, I had no idea that's what was going on in my life. And I think when you see your children um, 
trying to care for each other and their friends and people that they love in the same intensity and with the same blindness that they've learned from you is when it starts to, to gel and you start to see something that can be very good and beautiful can also be very ugly and distorted and get in the way of what the Lord wants to do. He is sovereign. He doesn't need us to do a lot of the things we think we need to do because he doesn't need my help. He's perfectly capable of taking care of those I love far better than I am. And he'd probably like me to take the bucket off my head and sit down and just watch sometimes. Okay, thank you. One more. Uh, thank you, Pastor and, and Church. Uh, my wife and I are members of the Christian Motorcycle Association, and we've been going to prisons for the last two or three years. And we have a prison that we visit once a week in Tomoka Institution, which is 1,400 prisoners. And I heard uh, last week that uh, uh, the chapel would be closed um, Christmas Day, and it's never been open. And I'm, I've been a, a, a motorcyclist, and I've always been in the middle of the pack. And, and last week I needed to step out front for Jesus. So I asked him if we could open up the uh, chapel um, yesterday for the first time. And over a hundred out of the 14 showed up and we were able to worship Jesus yesterday. So it's, it's really a, an amazing thing because uh, I love the Lord dearly. But I was always in the middle of the pack and I need to get out front. Amen. God bless you. Good for you. All right. Stand up for a prayer and for benediction. God, thank you so much for moving among your people. We know that for every story that was told today, that there are a hundred more like it in this room. And we would pray for two things. First of all, we would pray that you would give us encouragement and instruction out of what has been said. You are giving messages to these people that we need to hear and help us to know that they are from you. Secondly, God, if there's anyone in here that has not committed their lives to you and they have simply put their experience with you in a religious experience category, God, we just pray that you will so shake their hearts that they will come to the place, maybe right now, that they want to say, God, I don't want you in a category. I want you in my heart. I want you to run it. I want you to be Lord of it because that's the only place you deserve. And Father, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I accept your forgiveness. And I ask you, to make of me someone who glorifies you and deals with you forevermore. Now, Father, take us from this place. Heal us physically and spiritually. Sanctify us wholly so that others might see you in us and receive you from us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.